0: Isaiah chapter 1 tonight, page 713, if you have an old Schofield Bible. And what I want to do is read, begin with verse number 1, and just read some verses if you'll bear with me for a moment. And tonight I want to kind of flip the switch, hopefully, and uh, be a little bit encouraging about this thing tonight, all right? Look at Isaiah chapter 1, verse 1. The Bible said, "...the vision of Isaiah, the son of Amos, which he saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem." Now, of course, right there we know that Isaiah is prophesying to the southern kingdom of Israel. We know there was a split, a northern kingdom. Their capital city was Samaria. And then there was Jerusalem, the capital of the southern kingdom, and Judah. And so he's prophesying now to, to uh, the southern kingdom of Israel. And then we read further in verse 1 that he's prophesying in the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah. Now again, right off the bat, we know that 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 southern side had 19 different kings after the split. Uh, Most of those kings were bad. He mentions one here by the name of Uzziah. Uzziah was a good king. Then he mentions Jotham. Jotham was a bad king. The Bible said of old Jotham that he, uh, uh, he would not enter into the temple of the Lord. And then he had a boy by the name of Ahaz. And Ahaz had absolutely no use for the house of God. And by the way, if mom and daddy don't have no use for the house of God, why are the children going to have a use for the house of God? So there's Jotham and then Ahaz. Ahaz was bad. I'm talking about bad to the bone. I mean, he cut the doors off the house of God and took the vessels out of the house of God and shut the house of God up. But then old, old, old Ahaz had a boy, and his name was Hezekiah. And Hezekiah was a good king. He really was. And he loved the Lord and, and did that which was right. Isn't that amazing how that a Uzziah can have a Jotham and an Ahaz can have a Hezekiah? You never know what God might do. Amen. You know, just because maybe your mom and dad didn't serve God don't mean that you can't serve God. You know, uh, just because O Ahaz was wicked didn't mean that O Hezekiah had to be wicked. And just because Uzziah was good didn't mean that Jotham had to be good. And it kind of goes both ways. And uh, so I don't know why I said all that, but that's why I said that, I guess. Uh, Then verse 2, we hear this. Hear, O heavens, and give ear, O earth, for the Lord hath spoken. I have nourished and brought up children, and they have rebelled against me. The ox knoweth his owner... And the ass, his master's crib, but Israel doth not know. My people doth not consider. Ah, sinful nation, a people laden with iniquity, a seed of evildoers, children that are corruptors. They have forsaken the Lord. They have provoked the Holy One of Israel into anger. They are gone away backward. Why should ye be stricken any more? Seems like God was dealing with these people. And God said, hey, why, why should I just keep on striking out against you? Uh, you will revolt, verse 5, more and more. The whole head is sick and the whole heart faint. From the sole to the foot even to the, to the head, there's no soundness in it, but wounds and bruises and putrefying sores. They've not been closed, neither bound up, neither mollified with ointment. Your country is desolate. Your cities are burned with fire. Your land, strangers devoured in your presence. And it, is de- and it is desolate as overthrown by strangers. And the daughter of Zion is left as a cottage in a vineyard, as a lodge in a garden of cucumbers, as a besieged city. Except the Lord of hosts had left unto us a very small remnant. We should have been of Sodom, and we should have been like unto Gomorrah. And then if you look at verse number 10, he actually calls his people Sodom and Gomorrah. Look at verse 10. Hear the word of the Lord, ye rulers ye rulers of Sodom. Give ear unto the law of our God, ye people of Gomorrah. And then here's the sad thing about it. With all this going on in the nation, if you look at verse 11, we're told that with all this forsaking and turning against God, they were still going through their religious motions of offering up their sacrifices to God. Look at verse 11. To what purpose is the multitude... Of your sacrifices unto me, saith the Lord. I am full. Let me just say this in Forsyth County language. I'm fed up, God said, of the burnt offerings of rams and the fat of fed beasts. I delight not in the blood of bullocks or of lambs or of he goats. When you come to appear before me, who hath required this at your hand to tread my courts? Bring, bring no more vain oblations. Incense is an abomination unto me. The new moons and Sabbaths, the calling of assemblies, I cannot away with. It is iniquity, even the solemn warning. Then he drops all the way down. Well, look at verse 15. When you spread forth your hands, I'll hide mine eyes from you. Yea, when you make many prayers, I will not hear. Your hands are full of blood. Wash you. Make you clean. Put away the evil of your doings from before mine eyes. Cease to do evil. Learn to do well. Seek judgment. Relieve the oppressed. Judge the fatherless. Plead for the widow. And then God issues an invitation to the nation. Now I know, verse 18, we use this verse a lot when we're dealing with lost people, and I get that. And we should. What a great verse it is. But this is God's invitation to a nation that has gone away from Him. Look at verse 18. Come now, let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. Look at verse 19. If ye be willing and obedient... God said, if you'll just listen to me, you'll eat the good of the land. But if you don't listen, if you continue down the road you're going, if you harden your heart, if you rebel, refuse and rebel, you shall be devoured with the sword, for the mouth of the Lord hath spoken it. Is that not a text to America right there tonight? God said you want to live any old way and yet you want to come to church on Sunday, act like everything's all right between me and you. And God said, I just want to tell you, I'm just fed up with it. I remember back during 9-11 when uh, all that took place and and those bunch of congressmen and senators when all that came down that night and they were up there on the Capitol steps singing God Bless America. And when I saw that, I thought, man, instead of standing on the steps singing, God bless America, they ought to have been up there crawling around underneath them bushes getting right with God, repenting of their sin and seeking the face of God. Can I have an amen? Amen. This is God's chapter to America. So tonight, I want to preach on verse 9 as my text verse. I just want to preach a little bit on the subject of the remnant. The remnant. Let's pray. Father, bless your word tonight and bless these verses, please, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, Isaiah chapter 1 is a chapter that is full of great promises uh, to the people of God. I think about that great promise. I just read there in verse number 18 what a great promise that is. But if you'll permit me for just a moment, I'd like to kind of just... Verse 9 is my text verse, but I'd like to just kind of work my way to it. And as I said this morning, America is not prophesied in the Bible. There's no verse I can take you to and point you to. For instance, there are some verses in the Bible that I can say, okay, that points to the to the empire of Russia. I can... I can show you in the Bible that there is a plan in Bible prophecy for Russia. I could take you to the Bible over the book of Revelation and other places in the Bible and show you that God has a plan for, for China in the Bible. Oh, buddy, does God have a plan for China? I can take you to some other verses and show you that God has some some prophetical uh, promises that are made to uh, people like Germany and, and other nations in the Bible. Of course, the nation of Israel, we get all that. Uh, man, I can take you and show you where God has some prophecies for Iran and Iraq in the Bible, but there's no mention of America anywhere in Bible prophecy. So America is not prophesied in the Bible, but as I said this morning, America is pictured in the Bible. Now, you cannot make the nation of Israel into America. You know, years ago, there was a movement. It was much larger back years ago than it is today, but it was known then as the Worldwide Church of God. And they had a leader by the name of Herbert W. Armstrong. And Herbert W. Armstrong, the leader of this world, Worldwide Church of God, said that God had set the nation of Israel aside and God had had put America in the place of the nation of Israel. Now, I do not believe that for a moment. I believe God still has a plan for the nation of Israel. I do not think that God is through with the Jew. God has a great and a glorious plan for the nation of Israel. So I'm not saying Israel is America, but I am saying that Israel in the Bible can be a picture of America. And with that being said tonight, I want to just say, working my way down to verse 9, I want to say three things about it. First of all, would you notice in verse number 2 and following, would you notice the successfulness of the nation of Israel? I'm talking about the successfulness of the nation. Look at verse 2. God said, hear, O heavens, and give ear. It almost looks like this is a courtroom kind of a scene where God is calling the heavens and the earth the jury to this trial. And the nation of Israel, in particular the, uh, uh, the kingdom of Judah, is on trial here. And God is the prosecuting attorney, and He's laying out His case against His people. And as He does so, reading through all this, uh, He talks a little bit in verse number 2 about the successfulness of the nation of Israel. Did you notice there in verse 2 where God says this? I have nourished and brought up children. Now, of course, he's referring now to the nation of Israel. God nourished. God brought Israel up and God nourished the nation of Israel. God let me say it like this. God took care of of the nation of Israel. You know, back in the book of Genesis, those first 11 chapters or so, we come to find out, uh, we see God dealing with all kinds of nations, but in chapter number 12, we find God reaching down into the pool of the nations of the world, into the pool of the races of the world, and God chooses out one people, one nation to be his very own people, and that, of course, is the nation of Israel. And it all began with a man by the name of Abraham. And God appeared to Abraham while he was in Mesopotamia in the in the the Ur of the Chaldees. That phrase, Ur of the Chaldees, means the flames of destruction and the the word Mesopotamia means the land of idolatry. That tells us a little bit where it was, where the nation was, when it first started. They were dwelling over there in the land of idolatry. Abraham was an idolater, man. He was worshiping all kind of gods and he lived in the flames of destruction. Aren't you glad God lifted you out of the flames of destruction one day? The Bible said in the book of Jude that we have been saved as we have been plucked from the fire. Boy, I'm glad God saved me and plucked me out of the fire one day. I don't have to die and go to hell and burn forever because I've been plucked from the fire by the merciful gracious hand of Almighty God. And when God found the nation of Israel, He found them. There was no reason God should have chosen them. God just divinely and sovereignly chose the nation of Israel. They were not a mighty nation. They were not more than number than any other nation. There was not one thing about the nation that should have merited God choosing them, meriting the favor of God. In fact, over in the book of Ezekiel, when God first found them, God said they were like a child that had just been born, that had not been washed, had not been cared for, that was laying there in the filth of all that. And God said, that's where you were when I found you, but I called you, and I nourished you and made you my own people. Speaking to the nation of Israel, there's a verse over in Hosea, and I was looking at it right before church tonight. There's a verse verse over in Hosea where God said, I called my son out of Egypt. Speaking about the nation of Judah and the nation of Israel. And then God said a couple of verses later, I took him by the hand. You know just like a father. You know when you you, your children were little or some of you they still are little and, and you maybe are going through a parking lot and you're on your way to Walmart or wherever and you just don't let those little kids run wild because there's too many dangers out there. So you reach down and you take them by the hand and you walk them through the dangers because you want to say you want to protect your child and you want to safely get them inside the store, and you take them by the hand. In fact, while you're in the store, you don't let go of them, or else you set them in the buggy or whatever, and you keep your hands on them. You know why? You love them. You realize there's a lot of dangers out there. They need a whole lot of protecting, a whole lot of watching. And God said, just as a father takes the hand of his child, I, as a heavenly father, took the hand of the nation of Israel. And God walked them through the wilderness, and God brought them into the land of Canaan, the promised land. Can I just say, all this, the history of the nation of Israel is his story. God did all that. I mean, when they got over there, listen, they didn't get over there on their own. They didn't get through that wilderness by themselves. God had to feed them. God had to give them water. God had to protect them. God had to help them in their battles and their trials and their struggles. Aren't you glad God will still help us in our battles and trials and struggles? If God did that for Israel, guess what? God will do that for his people today. And God had been good to the nation of Israel. I'm just talking about the successfulness of this nation. God God said, I have nourished and brought up children. And by the way, what a picture of America that is. Just as Abraham was some kind of a uh, idol-worshiping heathen dwelling in a, in, a, in a far-off land, our forefathers dwelling in a far-off land came to the shores of America. And they didn't come seeking gold. They come seeking God. They were looking for a place where they could have freedom and liberty to worship and to serve God and to bring their families up. God brought them across the stormy waters of the North Atlantic and God planted them right here in this good old God-blessed land that we now call the United States of America. And can I just say this? Our story is His story. God's been good to us. God could say of us, just as He said of the nation of Israel, I have nourished and brought up children. Listen, we are today what we are today. Because of the power and the presence of Almighty God. Hey, we did not become the nation that we are by our own ingenuity, by our own own thinking. We got to the place that we are because God has blessed America. Said all that would say this, the successfulness of this nation. But then number two, look again at verse two, we see the sinfulness of this nation. Now, I'm not going to get negative. I'm, I flipped the switch. I'm, I'm positive poly tonight. See the smile on my face? I'm very positive, upbeat, and encouraging tonight. Who am I trying to kid? But God said... <laughs> Miss Sherry, you just let me do the preaching from here on now. She said, I'm blind, and I can see that. <laughs> Woo! Lord help. Who picked her up and brought her over here tonight? (laughs) Anyway, look at verse number 2. God said, I've nourished and brought up children. The successfulness. God had been good. They got over there in the land of Canaan. I mean, they crossed rivers that were uncrossable. They won battles that were unwinnable. I mean, man, God blessed them. They lived in houses they didn't build. They drank from wells. They didn't dig. They, they inherited a land that they didn't have to, uh, that, that, that they, they had nothing to do with. God blessed those people. God said, I've been good. They're successful. But then in verse number 2, he turns right around and talks about the sinfulness of the nation. Look what he said at the end of verse number 2. I have nourished and brought up children. What happened? and they rebelled against me. Isn't that a sight? I mean, God has been so good to these people in our text. They're enjoying all that they're enjoying. And what did they do? They just rebelled against God. Notice, if you will, in verse number 3, the foolishness of their rebellion. God said, The ox knoweth his owner, and the ass his master's crib. I mean, even dumb, dumb animals know, uh, know to the hand that feeds them. Even dumb animals knows to be loyal to the one that's, that's good to them and takes care of them and protects them. But then, then he said this, but Israel doth not know. My people doth not consider. It is a sight when a dumb ox is, is smarter than a human being is. And God said, I have been so good to them, I have fed them. And He said, You know something? The dumb ox and the donkey is smarter than the people of God. They have rebelled against me. Notice in verse 4, the forsaking of this rebellion. In verse 4, right in the middle of that, they simply say, He simply said, They have forsaken me. The Lord, once again, is this not a picture of our land? God, having been so good to us, we dwell in this land. Uh, This land is the spiritual land of Cana. I I, I don't mean to say this is the Middle East, but I do mean to say this. God brought us into this place, and this, this land of ours is just abundant with natural resources. There's fresh water for us to drink. I mean, there's good soil to plant our crops in. You ought to see my corn right now. The deer hadn't got it yet. You ought to see my corn right now. You ought to see my cucumber vines. They're crawling up fences and over fences. And quick as they crawl over the fence, the deer crop them off. So, I mean, uh, it looks good till it gets to the fence and ain't nothing there. But I got good soil to, to plant good crops. We got pasture land to raise. Thank God, beef. Can I have an amen? We got, we got hog pens, brother, buddy, that'll raise good hogs. I know we probably ain't supposed to eat it, but sure is good, ain't it? Yes, sir. God's been good to our land. Our rivers are abundant with fish. Our oceans, our boundaries are set. This is a great land. And what we do when we got here? What These many years later, what have we done? They've rebelled against God. We have rebelled against God. We have forsaken the God that has made us what we are. If you don't believe that, Don't do this, but turn your TV on at night. Look at the garbage that's being pumped into the living rooms of America. Men kissing other men. Women kissing other women. The implied sex acts between the same sexes. Look at the filth, the alcohol and all that's going on in this world. Can I tell you something, man? We have forsaken the Lord. I mean, man, we have forgot the hand that has been so good to America. And God said, I'm, I'm telling you, I've been good. You've been successful, but you've forsaken me. You've forgotten me. You've rebelled against me. And look what God says in verse number 5. God. Said, God said, why will I strike you or why should you be stricken anymore? God said, I've tried to get your attention. God said, I have brought various things upon this land. Maybe the famines or the droughts or the fires or the storms. God said, I've done all of this to, to smite you, to chastise you. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. Hebrews 12 says, God said, I've, I've, I've smitten you. And yet, you didn't get right with me. You revolted more and more, and then he goes on to say in verse number, uh, verse number five. The, the uh, I'm sorry, verse number seven. Your country is desolate, your cities are burned with fire, your land, strangers devour it. I got wrote down in my Bible right beside of that nine one one. You know, there was a time in America we didn't have to worry about terrorism. That's something that happened over in the Middle East. That's something that happened over in Europe or uh, over in Asia. We didn't worry about that here in America. Now, every time something crazy goes on, when that, I'm, I'm just going to be honest with you, and I've tried to pray for those poor people, but when that tower fell or that motel or whatever it was fell down there in Florida and they still have not found all those people, first thing that hit my mind, man, they bombed that place. We didn't even used to have to worry about that. When you're watching something on TV, maybe you're watching a a big sporting event or whatever and the lights go out, first all hits my mind, terrorist attack. We used to didn't have to worry about that. Why? Boy, we was right with God and God had a hedge about us and God was protecting us here in this land. But now he said strangers are devouring your land. You know, America has always been the land of immigrants. I'm not against immigrants coming to America. But please do it right when you come. We've got proper ways for people to enter our nation. We've got proper ways and proper channels for them to work themselves through to become in our nation. Hey, just don't come over here and burn up our resources before we have to pay for all that garbage. And you're sitting over here in an un, in, in illegal manner. Hey, go through the proper channels. Put her there. Welcome to America. But bless God, if you're going to sneak in over a wall or, or swim a river or, bless God, come under a tunnel, get your rotten carcass out of here and come in the right way. God help us. Your land, strangers are devouring it. It is desolate it's overthrown. Notice verse seven: your land is overthrown by strangers. Am I reading about am I reading tomorrow morning's newspapers here? All of this speaks the sinfulness of the nation. So we have the successfulness. Then we have the sinfulness, but then notice this: we have the sickness. Of this nation. Look again if you will in verse number uh, verse number six verse five says the, the whole head is sick. the whole heart is faint. from the sole to the foot even unto uh, the head there's no soundness but wounds and bruises and putrefying sores. they've not been closed neither bound up nor mollified with ointment. God said the whole outfit is sick. And by the way, he's not necessarily talking about just physical sickness, but he's talking about spiritual and sin sickness. And God said it's just like this nation, speaking about his people, it's like just one big old ooze and sore that nobody's thought to take care of. An infection is set in, and the pus is draining, and, and the corruption is draining from that sore, and oh, the smell of it. God said, that's the way my people are right now. Isn't that a sight? Let me just say this, it angers God. God gets greatly offended that we have forsaken Him. If you don't believe that, look at verse number 4. The last phrase says, They have provoked the Holy One of Israel unto anger. They are going away backward. Would you look right here and let me tell you something. I know and I do it. I preach the God of love, and He is. And I preach the God of forgiveness and the God of mercy and the God of grace. He is all that and so much more. But he's also a holy God. And he can be provoked. And he can be made mad. And he can be irritated. And he can get angry in spite of all of that. Our nation, just like he said the nation of Israel, our nation is sin sick tonight. Can I have an amen? If we could see through spiritual eyes the spiritual condition of our nation, I think we would actually see our nation, good old God-blessed America, all 50 states laying in an intensive care unit, intubated on life support, not knowing if we're going to make it or not. That is the condition of our nation. It's bad. It's bleak. It's black. But there's hope. And if you'll look at verse number 9, here's why there's hope. Look at verse 9. Except the Lord of hosts had left unto us a very small There it is. The hope is in the remnant. That's where the hope is. The hope's not in the... uh, Let me read it like this. Except the Lord of hosts have left unto us a very small Republican. Your Bible don't say that, does it? It's sure unto God don't say a Democrat. He said the only hope that my people have got is the remnant. Now, let's talk a little bit tonight about... I mean this to be encouraging. I hope it'll turn out that way. A remnant. Let's talk about the remnant. First of all, notice, if you will, number one of this text, there is a divine proclamation. God said, I have left behind a remnant. Now, the word remnant in our terminology today refers to a piece of carpet or a piece of cloth that has been left over. You know, sometimes we call the remnants the scraps. You know, if you get ready to carpet your house or a or few ladies are buying a piece of cloth, maybe you want to make a new dress or whatever out of it, and, and you go down to the carpet store and you say, well, you know something, I'm not real sure what kind of piece I want. And they take you over and they show you this high-dollar stuff. And you say, man, uh, you know, that stuff, boy, that's expensive. What is it, uh, $15 a yard? Oh, my goodness. I mean, has that got gold fibers in it? I mean, what about that? He said, well, if you're looking for something a little bit cheaper, he said, we have a remnant over here. Somebody else may have bought it and used some of it, but they they didn't use it all, so there's a big enough piece of it left behind to carpet your floors. And he says, okay, we can sell you this at a reduced price because it is a remnant. That's what the word means in our terminology. But in Bible terminology, the word remnant refers to a group of people that remains true, uh, true to God in spite of what everybody else in the majority may be doing. Now, that's true of a nation. You know, for me to stand up tonight and to say all of America has lost their mind would be a wrong statement. Because, thank God, even within America, there's a remnant. Even within our nation, there's a crowd that despite what the majority are doing, despite what they're saying, despite what they believe, what despite, despite their standard of living, thank God there's still a crowd in America tonight that loves God, loves the Bible, loves the house of God, and still believes right is right and wrong is wrong. That's the remnant. That's the remnant. And God in this nation, just like he said in verse number 9, speaking about the nation of Judah, he said, man, they're sick. They're, They're going down. It's terrible what's happening. They've forsaken me. But God said, thank God. They ain't all done that. There is a remnant. I just want to encourage your heart tonight by saying, in America, all hope is not lost yet. You know why? There is a remnant in America. That's true of a nation. That's true of a nation. Look at these verses right here. I'm talking about true of a nation. Wot ye not what the scripture saith of Elias, how he maketh intercession to God against Israel, saying, They have killed thy prophets, dig down thine altars, and I'm left alone, and they seek my life. Stop right there. Elijah thought, Man, I'm the only one left, Lord. I mean that out of this whole crowd. They have thrown down your altars. God, they've just totally forsaken you, totally forgot about you. But God said, I got something to remind you, son. And that's this. But what saith the answer of God unto him? I have reserved to myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to the image of Baal. And it goes on to say, Even so then at this present time, also there is a remnant. Elijah thought, I'm the only one trying to stand. I'm the only one still preaching the true and only God. The rest of the crowd has turned aside to Baal. Baal, They bowed their knee. They've kissed their image. They've thrown thrown God away. They forgot about him. But God said, I want to tell you something, boy. You're not the only one that's left. There's still 7,000 more just like you in the land of Israel. They haven't bowed the knee. They haven't kissed the image of Baal. There is a remnant. That's true of a nation tonight. By the way, look at this. That's true of a church. Thank God for the remnant. You know, churches today, for me to stand up here and say tonight, man, all churches have just lost their minds and gone crazy. That's not a true statement. Because even in churches that have lost their mind and have gone crazy, there 's a little crowd sitting around in there somewhere that still believes God that still believes i don 't know why they 're there i 'd get my i 'd ride a white horse, get my family on a white horse and i 'd ride out of there and hunt me another place but in every church i 'm persuaded to believe there's still some people that still love God and still love the Bible and they grieve because the preachers change the Bible and they grieve because the music 's changed and they grieve because they 're playing cards on the church bus and they 're Amen. That just popped out. I'm sorry. I'm popping it right back in right now. I'm just telling them they're grieved about all that. And they don't like it and they don't appreciate it. But thank God in those churches, there are some people that still love God and still want to honor him and still want to serve him. Amen. Amen. Let me prove it to you. In Revelation chapter number 3, the the church of Sardis was a dead church. The Bible said they were lifeless. They had a name that they live, but they're dead. they've, They've forsaken God. But God said, Thou hast a few names, even in Sardis, which have not defiled their garments. That's true of a church tonight. Thank God in every church there's still some people that love God and want to serve God, and want to live for God, and still have a a testimony for God in every church. There's still some folks just like that, every church. That's true, watch this. That's true of youth groups in America. We just come out of that meeting down in Georgia just a little while ago, and, you know, in our churches today, in our youth groups, in our teen groups, you know, there's a lot of teens that are in our teen groups at church, that are not at all interested in living for God. I mean, they want to go out here and please self and satisfy self and gratify their flesh. I'm talking about kids even in our church groups in America. There are teens in our church group. They're all about themselves. They're all about doing what pleases them. And I think about this. Think about in the days of Samuel. Remember that story? In that church back in those days when Eli was the pastor of that church and they had a youth group, their youth group consisted of Hophni, Phineas and little Samuel. And all Hophni and Phineas wanted to do was lay around with women at the door of the house of God. They wanted to get drunk. They didn't care to think about God. They didn't reverence the house of God. But in the midst of all that, thank God, in that youth group going absolutely crazy, there was still one little old boy by the name of Samuel running around in that youth group that was saying, Speak, Lord, for thy servant heareth. Aren't you glad in our youth group here at this church, there's a remnant. There is a remnant. God's always left himself a remnant. God's always had a group that's going to stand. God's always had a group that remains. God's always had a crowd who's not going the way everybody else is. God's always had a group that still loves the Bible and loves God and loves the house of God and still hates the world and still hates ungodliness and still believes in dressing right and living right and living and 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 clean while others may be forsaken. Thank God there is a remnant left behind. There's a divine proclamation. Number two, there's a diminished population. There is a diminished population. Look, if you will, again at verse number one. It doesn't say this, except the Lord of hosts had left us a remnant. There's not a remnant as per se. That remnant that's left is not just a remnant. It's not even a small remnant. According to our text, it's a very, very, Small remnant. I mean by comparison, 320 million of us in the United States of America. By comparison, that remnant is very small in comparison to the 320 million of us that make up the citizenship, the population of the United States of America. It's a very small remnant. I got to think, you know, through the Bible, sometimes that remnant really got small. I think about during the days of the flood. I mean, when God was getting ready to rain judgment down upon this world, literally rain judgment down upon this world, and the fountains of the deep were about to get broken up, it was a bad day. But thank God there was a remnant. In that world, right before the flood, as far as best I know, best I can count, there was only eight of them. There was Noah, Mrs. Noah, Ham, Sham, Japheth, and Mrs. Japheth, Mrs. Shem, and Mrs. Uh, Mrs. Ham. There were only eight of them. But even in that day, in a world that had lost its way and corrupted its way, thank God, there was a very small remnant that was not going to go the way everybody else was going. They were marching to the beat of a different drum. Man, they didn't treat the world's liquor. They didn't cuss the world's language. They didn't live the world's idolatry and adultery. They made up their mind they were going to walk a different way. There was a remnant. Boy, think about that. That remnant got small in Joseph's family of of, of 13 kids. Out of those 13 kids, 12 of those kids, 11 of those kids were bad. There was really only one kid that was any good in Joseph's family And that was Joseph there was one boy in that whole family that had lost his consciousness of God. Joseph wanted to do right. He was God's remnant. When Israel went into Babylon, Babylon and all the captives in Babylon just settled down, and they adopted all the ways and the culture of Babylon, thank God there was one by the name of Daniel who said, I'm not going to drink the king's wine. He said, I'm not going to eat the king's meat. Do what you want to. Kill me if you have to. I won't do it. There was a remnant. In the, a little bit later in that book in those, uh, chapter 3 when that king had set that image of himself 90 foot tall in the plains of Newer and demanded everybody to bow down and worship when the music started playing and they hit the uh, the, the button and the crowd started playing and everybody all over the plains of Doer bowed down I mean Jew and Gentile alike but thank God there was a remnant there was Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego there was a remnant who said this we might burn but we ain't about to bend and we ain't about to bow. We're not going to compromise. Y'all can let down the standard if you want to, but there is a God in heaven and if it be His will, he will take care of us. There was a remnant. There's always. we're not by ourselves tonight. You're not by yourself. You say, Preacher, I'm struggling so much trying to raise my kids. Preacher, I'm battling this thing. Man, it seems like everybody else is doing this. This is what my kids want to do. I'm just struggling through this. Hey, you're not by yourself. You're not the last one left. God's got 7,000 more around here just like you who haven't bowed the knee nor kissed the image of Baal. You hang in there. There is a remnant that's left. Amen. I'll tell you, right here in America, friend, there is a remnant that is left. So there is a divine proclamation, or whatever I said, a diminished population. But look again at verse 9. There is a delightful preservation. Did you notice in verse 9, and I'm done, but look at verse 9. Except the Lord of hosts had left unto us a very small remnant, we should have been as Sodom. And we should have been like unto Gomorrah. You know what God is saying? Were it not for that remnant, I would have already destroyed this place. Were it not for that very small crowd. Were it not for that little handful of people that love God, though everybody else had forsaken God. If it hadn't been for that crowd, God said, I would have destroyed this place just like I did Sodom. And Gamora. Am I in the text? That remnant preserved that country. Let me tell you what's going to preserve America tonight. It ain't the Republicans. I love them, but we had we had the stinking House and the Senate, and they wanted to appease and get along with everybody. They ain't going to do nothing. I mean, I'll put them back in again, but I, I know when I put them in, they ain't going to do nothing. I'll vote for them again, but I know they're going to reach across the aisle and try to love up to a bunch of... God-hating Democrats. You know it too. Don't look down. We ain't praying right now. They're going to try to appease everybody. That ain't the answer. The answer for America is not Republicans. It's remnant. And if you take the remnant out of America, God said this place is going to be just like. What did he do to Sodom and Gomorrah? Somebody tell me what did he do? He destroyed that outfit. And God said, by the way, what's the one thing that would have spared Sodom and Gomorrah? A remnant there. Abraham started with 50 and got all the way down to 10. And bless your heart, they want him a, t- a remnant of 10 in Sodom and Gomorrah. And God said, that's enough. I got one down there. I'll get him out. And then judgment is falling. Look out. It's on the way. Thank God for the remnant. Are you a part of that remnant tonight? Look at this verse and I'm done. This is a remnant verse right here. Look at this verse right here. We're done. That you may be blameless and harmless the sons of God, without rebuke, in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, among whom you shine as lights. You know, if that ain't a remnant verse, I don't know what is. God said, We are in the midst of a crooked and a perverse nation. But my plan for the remnant is that they be blameless and harmless, that they be without rebuke from the wicked and ungodly crowd, and that we shine as lights in the crooked world that we're living in. I said all that to say this, all hope's not lost. You know why? The remnant is still here. If the remnant gets revived, look out. Amen? Let me say it like this. If the remnant gets revived, hell help us, all heaven's going to break loose. If the remnant gets stirred up. But if we're just content just to love God in our own little way and stay inside of our little churches and just say, well, they can do what they want to. I'm not going to do it. But if that's our attitude and we're not reaching out trying to add to that remnant, buddy, the remnant's going to die out and we're going to all be gone and judgment's going to come upon this land. God, help. We need to be God's vessels. We need to be God's voice in these last days. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for the remnant.